I'm Andrew Harrison. Welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast with me and Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm pretty good. Are you well? Yeah, I'm not bad. Are you getting the uh, the hang of this podcasting lark yet then? You're starting to get into your uh, into your groove, as it were. Yeah, people have liked it because they can't actually see me. <laughs> so they haven't, got, they haven't got your face staring at the bottom of yeah, her. I think, I think my mother once said I've got the perfect face for radio and this just proves it. There you go. So the idea behind this podcast is that we discuss the things in the world of money and savings and investment and so forth that will concern the average person, the person in the street. And we thought this week we should possibly talk about worry because it's a worrying world. But what should we be worrying about? What's realistic to worry about in the universe of savings and investments on and what's really not worth getting wound up about? When is it a good idea to step back and accept that there's there's actually no point worrying about this particular thing? And the main thing that's preying on people's minds, I think, at the moment is recession, which we talked about a little on last week's podcast. Andy, I mean, irrespective of how soon, deep, long-lasting the recession that's coming may or may not be... Is there a way to recession-proof your savings? I would like to say there's a simple way of doing it, but there really isn't. When you've got two elements to when you have money, one is what you call savings, nationally, so you can put them in your banks, national savings, deposit-based, and then the other area is the investments. Now, investments, you hope, depending on your risk, will outperform inflation. Now, recently, obviously, with the market turbulence, sometimes they've dipped and sometimes they've improved on sort of inflation. But for rainy day money, I think too many people sometimes go, well, if inflation's running at 2%, my instant access needs to beat it. The reality is you have rainy day money savings emergency fund for times like COVID, times like recessions, times like when you've lost your job. And the USA is now officially in recession. The figures came out this week, I believe. Do you think that that's going to infect us or do we have that kind of issue here anyway? It's going to happen to us sooner or later. I think the recession is coming like America. It's really funny because the American Dow, if you look at it from January the 1st to June the 1st and take sterling into account, is actually as a positive return. But I think people forget that the stock markets are not the economy. They are a reflection, but they are not the economy. So undoubtedly, we will... I think there was 9 million furloughed in this country. America has a record number of people unemployed. So yeah, a recession is happening, a slowdown, whatever word people want to use, but there is going to be some turbulence in economic conditions across the world. So we shouldn't be looking at the Dow and we shouldn't be looking at the FTSE as pure indicators of the health of the economy. What should we be looking at as, you know, again, not as professionals in the business, but as members of the public? I think you've got to look at across a range of indices. So house prices, how many people are losing their jobs and how many jobs are being created? Are we looking at negative inflation? Recently, they've talked about the Bank of England have talked about actually charging people to hold money in bank accounts to get people to spend it. There's no doubt that the next 12 months across the world are going to be very interesting. I think there is one massive bonus to what we're facing. Unlike 2007, 2008, when the central banks were not like the Lloyd's TSB groups, Barclays, HSBC, weren't well capitalized, banks are very well capitalized. And governments have now realized that going to austerity might not always be the answer. So they've actually now, as you can see in this country, 8 million people on furloughing. There's been payment holidays agreed with banks. There's been grants given across to many, many businesses. The way the governments have handled it across Europe is different from country to country, but they have handled it in a way that is trying to get the economies back up and running. 
one thing we've all been very used to for the past, well, since the last financial crisis is very, very low interest rates and cheap money. You know, many of us have remortgaged. We got used to yeah. very low mortgage payments. You know, we're used to interest rates being gen, you know, kind of nominal, really. How likely is it that that might end? I mean, it, it, it kind of seems unlikely given that we, our problem is too little economic activity, not too much. I, one of the, one economist I read recently said, depending how we want to come out of this, one of the ways for any government to get out of this, to make the debt look smaller is to create inflation. I personally don't see that happening in this country. So I think the period of low rates for people's mortgages are here. You're currently being able to fix a five-year mortgage for less than 2%, which historically is so low. And we're finding more people when they're coming to the end of their fixed rates are looking to t take advantage of the current crisis and peg, and peg their rate for the next five years, knowing that the payment is significantly lower than what it would have been five years ago. So there is, whilst it's a terrible situation, the interest rates for people's borrowings is at an all-time low. But conversely, there's a worry that, you know, so many of us have got our savings tied up in our houses, mm, in property. Yeah. And there's a worry that the housing market itself might seize up, not just for the usual reasons of, uh, you know, economic slowdown, less money in the market, but for these unusual one-off, you know, once in, a, once in a century at least reasons that, you know, it's very difficult to visit a house and view it now. It's very difficult. You know, people are, are people are not thinking in terms of kind of getting out and mixing and mingling. Do you think that, that you know, with people having so much savings tied up in, in, in housing, that that is something to be concerned about? I think the British public have always sort of their house is their home, but it's also been one of the greatest assets we have because when you look at a small country such as we are and we have a lack of land space, it's very, very difficult in terms of sort of when you go to France, for example, the best comparison is you can look in remote parts of France and house prices do nothing for 30 years. Over here, house prices have doubled probably every 10 or 12 years. I think what we're going to face moving forward is people who are in their 60s who are coming to the end of their mortgage who might have thought of retiring might need to extend their mortgage term or change over. The FCA are looking at papers of way of allowing people in the 60s and 70s to continue having mortgage, albeit on an interest-only basis, or the equity release market is a lot more refined than it was 10 years ago. So there will be solutions to the problems. I think it's just going to take a lot of imagination over the next few years to find a solution to COVID because we're all hoping and assuming that COVID goes away sooner if COVID is here for a while and social distancing remains, your point is very valid, taking people around a house. Do people want to move into a house? Do they have the resources now if they've been furloughed, if they're concerned about their jobs? And I think the Nationwide produced some papers this week that said house prices had gone down by 1.7%, I think it was in May. And I'm not certain if it was Savills said they thought prices could drop by around 7% to the end of the year. Which is a lot. It is. When you look at people's houses, it's a massive part of their worth. But we have to remember a house is a home, not an investment.
Well, we, we have this strange attitude in this country, don't we? And that we all complain that houses are too expensive and we say kids can't afford to get onto the, the housing ladder and the, the, you know, the dream of, uh, you know, in your first or second job, being able to get a mortgage and, 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 a, and a house to live in is kind of vanishing. And yet on the front page of all the papers, we celebrate a booming housing market. When it happens, we say, this is great. The house prices are going up. It's kind of, it's inconsistent, isn't it? It's really funny. People will look at their pension portfolio or their investment portfolio and say it's down by 3% or 15%. But rarely do people like acknowledging that their house, their home has dropped in value. And undoubtedly, when you get a market that has changed, which this has in terms of 9 million people being on furlough, when you've got a house, lenders will look at tightening regulation, there will be a drop in house prices. But the flip side, as you've said, it's great for young people. The average first-time buyer is 37 if they don't get parental help. So this might get a much-needed boost to younger people who need to get on the housing ladder. And it's not as if you're going to be in your house at the end of the year thinking, this is 7% less nice to live in. <laughs> you know, it's still, you know, it's still your house. I mean, if it's less nice to live in, that's your fault, and you need to pull the hoover around. Yeah. Well, it's not the market's <laughs> fault, is it? No, but Andrew, in, a, in again, if you look at when you buy a pension or an ISA, when you buy your house, if you're not selling it and you don't need to sell it, there is no hmm. reason to be upset. It's dropped that you can't worry about things you can't change. Well, because I've been around for a while now, I remember the last time the housing market seized up and it produced a boom in home improvement and home improvement television became a genre and everybody was, <laughs> you know, doing up the kitchen and knocking through the water. So, that you know, there is that. Make it 7% nicer. But I, the think, time. but I think people, I think a lot of people who've been furloughed have been doing their gardens and painting and decorating. And I do think people will look at the cost of stamp duty, which I believe the Chancellor will look at to get the mm. housing market stimulated again there was a piece of research done years ago that suggested that for every person employed in building a new house it created two jobs inside the economy so i suspect they will look at a way of getting the housing market moved and whether that's removing stamp duty for a year lowering stamp duty but they will want the housing market moved how do you move the housing market without reducing the value of the houses that your voters want to see maintained high though it's tricky right. it? it's very difficult i think they'll put some tax breaks in there but it's a bit like you can open the restaurants but do people want to go you can lower stamp duty but will people who've been furloughed people who've seen their bonuses drop and people who are worried about significant pay drops there's a potential that people might want to downsize to get rid of that financial worry or there's i think people moving up will be fewer moving up the ladder will be fewer than we've had in the first three months because people will look to save some money and make sure they're in a safe position. This brings me on, and you mentioned young, you know, young people getting on the housing ladder a minute ago. One thing I worry about is what's going to happen to you know, the kids in my wider family. You know, The 20-year-olds are going into a world with much fewer job opportunities uh, than perhaps they'd expected, and with the weight of education debt, which previous generations didn't have in the same way. And then you've got older members of the family who are thinking, well, you know, how do I pass on a nest egg to the to kids in the middle of a recession? I mean, what's what's your advice here? What should my family be concentrating upon if given that, you know, the the kids that are leaving college now are not really going to be going into a world rich with their with jobs? I think it's a very tough one because I think if you're a twenty year old and you're graduating with a thirty thousand pound university debt, there's going to be a scarcity of jobs. And I think we're also going to see wage deflation where mm. in terms of what people are really worth will drop in value. So if someone was on 
a £15,000 salary, you'll probably be able to, with unemployment, pick the same person up in a different company, 13, 13 and a half, and that will impact people's real standard of living. I think if you're looking to help younger people, one of the greatest things you can do is start a pension or an ISA for them. I think Mm -hmm. it's ability to gift them the deposit for that house if they need it. But we also have to put into perspective that if you're a 22-year-old now and you're graduating, you've probably life expectancy is into its 90s. I think now for, in a certain postcodes, a 65-year-old male and female, the life expectancy is 84 for the male and 88 for the female. So when we look at getting people onto the housing ladders, when I was in my 20s, you were looking to retire at 65, but the longevity was probably 75. So we have to bear in mind that the 20-year-olds will have a longer working life. And I suspect that they, some of them have made that decision that they don't want to be tied down, and this is pre-COVID, to a house in their 20s. They want to go and experience life, travel the world. But getting on the housing ladder in this country is so difficult for young people with the deposits and the, the lack of affordable housing in the country bit political this one one of my big worries is um that we might get a no deal brexit obviously brexit has happened we're out of the european (laughs) union but we're in the middle of transition and the talk seems to be going to the wire and it's looking an awful lot like we won't get a deal with the eu at the the end of these um the end of these talks irrespective of whether you support brexit or don't that's a a a kind of a a scenario that we're all gonna have to live with what happens to the average saver if we're out in out in the world with you know we've got tariffs with the EU we've got we're starting from scratch on trade deals is that going to affect the person on the street? I think that is one of the greatest unknowns because I think when we started this year everyone was talking about the B word. The B word's been forgotten and it's the C word, COVID. Mm. And in the background is this negotiation with Europe and a tariff that has to be paid when we leave. I think the markets had priced in Brexit, whether it was a hard Brexit, soft Brexit at the start of the year. Post-COVID, it has been put so much on the background that it will cause some market disturbance. Whether that is long-term or short-term, I really don't know. And I think it's two of the best commentators I listen to every week and speak with basically just turned around and said the government has only got two concerns at the moment, trying to find a cure for COVID and keeping the economy going. And I think Brexit is going to cause market disturbance, however it is handled, because if we don't, depending on how people voted, they're very strong in their opinions. And I think it will cause a lot of noise, worry on either side on how it's done and it will have a market disturbance in terms of stock markets and economic issues with employment as well. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to be coming back to this one in the next couple of weeks because <laughs> there'll be a result one way or another, won't there? Um, yeah, the I think the headline's coming up. Yeah, I think this is a bit like painting the fourth bridge in Scotland. I don't I think <laughs> this might be going on for a long time until the deadline and but I genuinely hope it doesn't matter how people voted what is really important for this country at the moment is that economically and financially we come out of this in the best shape we can Mm. because we don't want to make it harder 
for work or organizations which are facing really, really difficult decisions at the moment. And then just to wrap up this week's edition of the podcast, mm. what do you worry about yourself? What what keeps you up at night, Andy, in the world uh, of money? Uh, uh, the world of money is different to my... I worry that we'll Celtic win I mean, 10 in a row. I worry about Coventry City. Yeah, and Coventry <laughs> City will get promoted to the championship. I, When we started COVID, someone asked me a similar question. And I said, I hope that the families that we represent, there wasn't any deaths. And unfortunately, we've already lost one... Um, friend of mine's father died and i'm hoping that by the end of the year that will be the only death because Mm. one of my favorite films is bridge of spies and when tom hanks the lawyer is asking mark relance and he's about to be put away possibly for the death penalty Mm. because he's caught a spying in america and tom hanks's lawyer looks at him and says you don't look worried and the actor mark rylance just looks back at him in this russian accent and says would it help one of the things that having done this job now for 26 years, I've realized that I can't worry about things I can't change. There are circumstances beyond what I can see that any of us can see. But I think if people accept that certain things might change, their retirement might be delayed. They might have less in their pension fund than they did six months ago. That their house might be worth slightly less currently. But if we take a long-term perspective, and that's the most important thing with investments, if we've got our short-term money correct, and then we take a long-term perspective, you're safe in the knowledge you've done all that you can do. And I think I would just hope that when we get to sort of January the 1st next year, that as many people that we represent and know are still here. And that's because the economic turbulence is being felt not just by one section of the population or one part of the country. It's actually been felt globally, which in some ways lessens my worries because I realize this is not just a London problem or a Stoke-on-Trent problem or a Warwickshire problem. This is a global issue. And so that brings comfort, the fact that in a way, all governments have to find a resolve. So that's the end of another edition of It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast uh, with me, Andrew Harrison and Andy Mayer. We'll be back next week with more of Andy's inimitable expertise. You can now get us on Apple Podcasts so you can listen to the uh, podcast on your phone if you like. So please do subscribe. Andy's going to be emailing the podcasters every Friday as well. So, Andy, good to talk to you. What are you going to do now? What's, what's next? If Coventry had been promoted, I'm going to go home and have a large glass of white wine to celebrate. <laughs> Well, I don't know what to say apart from best of luck with that. And what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Um, I'm going to see what's happening with Liverpool's fixtures because I want to see if they're confirmed or not. As we can see, see whether we can squander our 25-point lead. Who knows? <laughs> Anything's possible. No. I'll tell you world. what, Andrew. I can tell you one sure thing about what's going to happen in the next month. Liverpool will win the league. It might not happen in the next month. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, good talking to you. See you next week. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew.